Picture a time when people would play singles ads in the newspaper. Almost like a dating app, but in the 1940s. Now imagine a man taking advantage of women, but one woman becoming his lover and accomplice in scamming, robbing, and murdering unsuspecting women. Is that really love? You definitely want to hear this next case we will be covering on The Criminality Report. everyone this is millie red and this is lady lily and welcome back to the criminality report the criminality report the criminality report yeah 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 we are continuing to cover couple crimes this month aka bonnie and clyde style crimes criminal couples duos you name it this is our anniversary month as we stated in our last few episodes. So show us some love on Instagram, Facebook, or even give us some nice reviews and rate us. Yeah, rate us, y'all. Rate Rate us. us. Now, talking about the psychology of criminal couples, we're going to tell you about what Dr. Joni E. Johnson, a clinical forensic psychologist, thinks about crimes committed by couples. Y'all ready for some education? I know I'm always ready for education. Yeah. When it comes to partners who murder together, and I would say this for criminal duos, period, Usually there is one who drives the murder or crime, but it doesn't necessarily mean the other person is a passive and hopeless passenger. Hmm. Most couples consist of a dominant person who teams up with an accomplice who is as enthusiastic to com- to commit these crimes as they are or someone who is lacking in their character or timid in some way. The psychologist, she also said there are, there are three possibilities when it comes to the dynamic of criminal duos. A bad person coerces a good-hearted person to commit the crime. A bad person who persuades someone who openly appears to be a good person but is dark inside to commit crimes. And the last idea is that it's two bad and cowardly people pair up and strengthen and strengthen a dysfunctional relationship that causes their darkness to become a reality. With all that said, think about our last two cases. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a dominant one and one who went along with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. 
So this story, which takes place in New York in the 1940s, involves 34-year-old Raymond Martinez Fernandez and 29-year-old Martha Jewel Beck. And just like looking at the ages, I was like, they're very young. Yeah. If you look at their pictures, they look like they're in their 40s and 50s. But that's just how life was back then. Or it could have been the camera. In every single picture. (laughs) (laughs) The camera, the camera back then was like pixelated. (laughs) There were no high definition, no 4K. You're right. No Photoshop, none of that. No. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying about Photoshop. They probably were naturally beautiful. Uh, But the camera, I'm going to blame it on the camera. Okay. The equipment make them look older. Blame it on the can't kick a can't kick camera. Blame it on the can't kick a can't kick camera. No, ma'am. No. All right. But you know how when they say when you are on video, the camera adds 10 pounds to you? Mm Mm-hmm. The camera probably added years. Yeah. Instead of 10 pounds, it added 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Fernandez was of Spanish descent, born in Hawaii on December 17th, 1914. He had a wife and four children who lived in Spain due to him moving to Spain as a young man. Hmm. He did come back. He did come back to the United States, though. He was described as slim, well-dressed, and balding man, and he wore a toupee. Um, I hope it was a lace front. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, I don't think it was a lace front. I don't think they glued it on or anything like that. Um, man, yeah, you know, hair extensions come a long way. They have come a very long way. Um, And even with a toupee, he thought Mm -hmm. and believed he was God's gift to women. Oh. All right. Confidence. Confidence. Okay, bro. So apparently he was balding because of a a severe head injury he received on a ship in the States, which also caused him to have headaches, have some mood changes and mood swings, and an indentation in his skull. So sometime after his brain injury, he was arrested for stealing and was sentenced to one year in the federal prison in Tallahassee, Florida. Oh, Florida. I know. Florida always (laughs) just rears its head (laughs) in these stories. Like, I was like, is there any way that I cannot tell this story like that? I can tell this story without putting Florida in there. Yeah, no, no. Florida is in here a couple of times. So um, at the penitentiary in Tallahassee, he learned about voodoo in the occult from a Haitian cellmate. Uh, We're not going to go over voodoo in this episode since we Mm -hmm. already touched upon it before on one of our previous episodes. But we implore y'all to educate yourself on the religion and understand that it's not evil. So please Mm -hmm. go do some research on, you know, voodoo. So his accomplice, Beck, was described as being an unattractive, obese woman, well over 200 pounds, and was essentially his sex slave. 
Isn't that a sad way to be described? That is very sad. There really was no need to say that she was unattractive. It just kind of sensationalized it even more, like just to sensationalize the case and the trial. But we'll get into that later. But getting back to the story, when Fernandez got out of prison, he thought with the help of voodoo, he could win over women. Uh In order to prove this theory correct, he began to answer wanted ads that were posted by single women in the newspaper. So what was his MO? His modus operandi in Latin, which describes how someone operates. His MO was pretty simple. Win the woman over by gaining their trust and wooing them, rob them, and then he would Houdini his way out of the relationship. Hmm. That's cold. He was ghosting back in the, in the 40s. Yeah. He was using the paper form of Craigslist. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say plenty and, of fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then gaslighting them. Mm-hmm. And then ghosting them. Yep. So when you think about it, all of that's pretty traumatizing and humiliating, right? Like you put this wanted ad, like you put this ad out about, you know, I guess people would think you're pathetic to do that. But you put this ad out, you know, trying to find someone and then you think you find someone and they're just playing games with you. Also trying to use manipulation as a key to get you to fall for them Mm -hmm. well i'm I'm glad they didn't have i mean i'm glad he didn't know anything about rahipnol right right and for y'all who don't know what that is is the date rape drug yeah so i'm glad he didn't know that either but he did know about some medicinals which we'll talk about later Um, But really, that's why nobody ever filed police reports on him, because they were embarrassed and they were humiliated. Nobody wants to say, oh, I put this ad out and I met this man and then I gave him all of my financial records and all that information and he robbed me and then left. Like, who wants to? Yeah. Who wants to say that? Yeah. Y'all listen to how he started his crime spree off. He dated an older lady and wiped out her bank account. He dated another lady, Jane Thompson, where he took her to Spain and weirdly enough introduced her to his wife that was living there. Remember, he was still married. That's crazy. Yes, very crazy. She ended up dead in a hotel, and when he went back to the States, he had rights to her property with a forged signature on her will. The list goes on and on of him violating these women. He answered the ad of another woman in 1947. This potential victim showed up at his house with her two children, y'all. Her two kids. Mm. Fernandez agreed to let her stay if she got rid of the kids. And believe it or not, she did. Ooh. She brought them to the Salvation Army and left them there in January of 1948. 
This woman was Martha Jewel Beck. That's crazy that you show up to someone's house and the man's like, yeah, you got to leave your kids outside. Yeah. And you're like, all right, I'm going to take him to the Salvation Army. The kid's looking like, you just met this man. She's like, I don't man. care. That's really, how does, a woman, yeah. how does a mother do that? I don't, that, that's crazy to me. I mean, we don't know what she was thinking at that time. No, I mean, but she, she was a very damaged woman. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is that if she doesn't know how to love herself, how can she love her children? And that's the key. If you so. don't love yourself, it is impossible for you to love anybody else. You cannot love your kids. Mm-hmm. And you can sit here and say, oh, I love my kids. If you don't love yourself first, there's no possible way you can love your yeah. kids or love another man or love your family or anybody. Right. It's, right. I agree. It's impossible. So we're going to see how damaged this woman is. So let's circle back to Beck. Um, she was born on May 6, 1919 in Milton, Florida. Floridian. Well. <laughs> <laughs> You ain't even got nothing to say. It's just, well. I don't. I just yeah. said, well. This is going to be a Florida person, Florida-ing. That's it. Well, yeah. Florida it's Milton. It's Milton, Florida. That has to be a small town. Very rural be. area. I, where yeah. is that? It's, I think it's in like, uh, like western Florida, like the northwestern part of Florida. So... Yeah, so she's from Milton, Florida. Uh, Beck was bullied by her mother and essentially everyone over her looks and weight. Mm. She was also a victim of molestation by her brother when she was a young girl. And um, when she told her mother about the molestation, like what had happened, her mother just beat her and didn't give her any support. Wow. Yeah. Um, and her mother was very domineering and just was very hard on her. Um, so Martha was an unemployed nurse and divorced with two children, a daughter and a son. Going back to before she had children, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm. As a young woman, she couldn't find a job as a nurse. So she went to school as a nurse she wanted to help people but she couldn't find a job as a nurse they say it was because of her looks that she was really um obese and what have you is why she couldn't find a a job but that's just allegedly i don't know how true that is um that's crazy yeah right um but anyway she worked at a funeral home preparing dead bodies Mm. Uh (laughs) uh-oh Why are you laughing? You you just you just said uh oh and audience like if you if you saw her face like you would also understand like uh oh like that's what happens you know mm-hmm. that leads you down a path if you can't even work in the field that you really want to work in and it's mm-hmm. crazy I really do believe that they probably weren't hiring her because she was obese. And that's crazy to me. Women back then was objectified, even Mm -hmm. though I still believe that they're still being objectified. 
in today's world, they were really viewed as objects. Yeah. And if you didn't fit a certain mold, a certain look, skin tone. Yeah. You just didn't fit in. Exactly. I find it interesting that she started working at a funeral home preparing the dead bodies. Um, These dead bodies couldn't talk back to her. So she was dealing with, you know, she's getting all of this rejection from society. And now she's able to work in a funeral home with, you know, individuals, even though they're not individuals anymore, but individuals that can't judge her. Yeah. She felt at home. And maybe this is her opportunity to make someone beautiful. There's a lot of psychology in this particular episode, y'all. So <laughs> there's a lot to think about. Um, but she then moved to California to start a new life. She worked at an army hospital previously and frequently went to bars to meet men. One of her children's fathers was a soldier who had a one-night stand with her. Once he found out Beck was pregnant, he tried to kill himself, which he was unsuccessful with, and she never saw him again. Are you serious? Yeah, how how traumatizing is that? That sounds a little extreme. Right? Somebody doesn't want to have anything to do with you, so they try to take their own life? That adds on to, like, her her mental instability, like, potential mental instability. Why her? It wasn't her that tried to kill him. It was him. It wasn't, but she's looking at it as she's been rejected by her family, by, you know, everyone in her hometown. She wanted to move and start a new life, and she's being rejected by these people. and rejected to the point where somebody wanted to kill themselves because they were so disgusted with the fact that they got her pregnant. That's traumatizing. Uh. Yeah. But after all of this, she moved back to Florida and devised a plan since she was pregnant. You know, this is the 40s, so you can't be pregnant with no husband. Um, so she pretended that she was married to a Navy officer in California and created this elaborate effort to listen to this, listen to this audience, to have a telegram sent to her home to say that her husband had died. Mm. Mm-hmm. She really, she, she received a lot of attention and sympathy and she didn't have to explain how or why she was pregnant and no man was in the picture. Yeah, because they're going to automatically assume that it's her husband's. Mm -hmm. Yep. So she married the other father of her child when she moved back to Florida and became pregnant again. However, six months later, they were divorced. So she's having some bad luck in in the love area. Fernandez had every intention of taking her money and robbing her but after they quote-unquote dated or he courted her or whatever you want to call it they allegedly fell in love for real okay Mm -hmm. so fernandez told beck his scheme and she wanted in on it 
she wanted in. She was like, all right, I know you tried to rape me and everything, but this sounds like a really good plan. I want in. So she liked the plan. Um, they're a couple now, scamming women by answering the want ads. Fernandez and Beck posed as brother and sister, answering advertisements of the Lonely Hearts Club that were featured in romance newspapers and magazines. Or rather, like, the romance section of newspapers and magazines. So while hustling these women out of their money, Beck became super duper jealous. Super duper jealous. I bet. As anyone would, right? I mean, you see your man seducing other women, potentially having sex with them, you know, mm-hmm. being intimate with them, whatever. Um, even though the ultimate goal is to steal from them, it still can't possibly be easy to see or watch that. Yeah, no, no. Listeners, over the next two years, Fernandez and Beck had a field day scamming and stealing from women. They eventually upped the antes to murder, later being known as the serial killer couple, the honeymoon killers and the lonely hearts killers. By 1949, they had already murdered a woman and accidentally killed another woman by overdosing her on sleeping pills. So, let's talk about these murders. Let's talk about them. Yeah. In 1949, Fernandez answered an ad by 66-year-old Janet Fay. They became engaged. Oh, not 66-year-old Janet. Man, and... It just dawned on me, this dude is 34, 35. My goodness. Miss Janet. Yeah. And one night, Beck saw them together in bed and in a fit of rage, hit Janet over the head with a hammer. And then Fernandez strangled her. Mm-hmm. Do they, did they plan that? I don't think I don't think that was planned. I think Beck lost her stuff when she saw because Janet was in the bed naked with Fernandez and Beck saw it and was like, oh, heck no. I know you're not in bed with my mans, with my manses. But Fernandez seemed to enjoy that she was in a jealous rage because he strangled the woman afterwards i think i think the strangulation was more of like i need to make sure that she's dead because just because you hit somebody in the head with a hammer doesn't mean that they're gonna die i mean you can bludgeon someone but they don't necessarily have to die they can be really messed up Yeah, that's true yeah that's true fernandez and beck traveled to michigan and there he found a younger woman 41-year-old Delphine Downing. She was suspicious of Fernandez and Beck, especially when she saw Fernandez without the toupee. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, when he removed his, when he removed his wig, she was like, dude. (laughs) She said, I don't like that. Dude. I'm suspicious. I didn't even know. I didn't even know you had on a toupee. I thought that lace front was yours. 
she's like, bro, you ain't got no hair though. There's nothing wrong with it. Bald <laughs> is okay, you know? It is, it is okay. beautiful. But that wasn't beautiful to her because seeing him bald made her think. <laughs> <laughs> bald. Because huh? he's a bald-headed liar. <laughs> that is such... That's where that term comes from right there. A bald-headed liar. <laughs> God, me. Just seeing him bald made her think of fraud. A fraud. That's a huge <laughs> allegation. I mean, and I hope that she didn't see all men, whoever, man, that walked past her who was bald. And like, ooh, you, you doing you doing insider training? Training. <laughs> training, not training. <laughs> oh my god, trading. Jesus. Not training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Well, she went against her own intuition because she allowed for them to move in, but wouldn't marry him and provide her financial funds to him. Smart. Smart. Mm-hmm. Fernandez gave her sleeping pills. Beck was tired of hearing her two-year-old daughter, Renelle, crying, so she strangled the daughter, but not killing her, though. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Beck? Seriously? And strangulation is very, like, it's an intimate thing, like, to strangle someone. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Fernandez, Fernandez didn't want Delphine to become even more suspicious if she noticed bruise, bruises on her daughter. So he shot Delphine in the head while she was unconscious. After days of staying in the house after the murder, they were tired of the crying from Delphine's daughter, so they drowned her in the tub of dirty water. Mm. The couple buried them in the basement afterwards and went to the movies. What? Like this was a normal day? hmm This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally insane, yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, just, you know, buried them like, you know, they weren't anything else. And then just be like, all right, let's go to the movies. Yeah. As, as if they were planting seeds. No, you're burying a body. Yeah. They just buried two bodies and they're like, oh, you you heard of that new Marilyn uh, Monroe movie? Let's go watch <laughs> <So> it. <stupid. laughs> what? Because she was out then. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Delphine's neighbors were worried since they hadn't seen her for days. So naturally, they called the police. Thank you for not minding your own business. Thank you. In that case. Thank you for being nosy. In this case. Yeah. Fernandez allowed the police to search the property, and they found the burial site on February 28, 1949. The couple signed a 73-page confession and thought they were safe because Michigan didn't have capital punishment at the time. However, they were extradited back to New York, where capital punishment was an option. They tried to plead insanity, but that didn't work. Good. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like they were insane. Mm -hmm. 
They were executed via the electric chair on March 8, 1951 at Sing Sing Prison in New York. They said they killed around 17 women, but the evidence shows around three victims. Mm. Oh, so the other 15 probably will never be found. Yeah. And it's, it's, you don't know if they were, because the trial, and you, you know, you're going to talk about this, but the trial was already like a big deal. And right. like it was already like sensationalized. So we don't know if they were trying to add to that. Well, yeah. I mean, everyone wanted to know about this trial. There was so much information about sex, love, and murder. It was like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this was like a very interesting case, but there were people, victims in- involved that lost their lives for no reason. Mm-hmm. They were they were also constantly body shaming Beck to the point where she wrote letters about how unfair her treatment in the media was. She was quoted as saying, I'm still human, feeling every blow inside, even though I have the ability to hide my feelings and laugh. But that doesn't say my heart isn't breaking from the insults and, humili- and humiliation of being talked about as I am. Oh, yes. I wear a cloak of laughter. Question. Do you feel sorry for her in this situation? I feel sorry for the part of body shaming her. Mm -hmm. I do. I mean, she's been, she's been living with insecurities about how she look and and how her body looks. Even from as a child, she's been dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the and it's like even though even though she committed a crime, she still was like, but these people are body shaming me. Like that shows you just like how deep that yeah. was in her psyche and how messed up she was because she was really hyper-focused on how they were, you know, describing her in the media. Right. On execution day, Fernandez's last words were, I want to shout it out. I love Martha. What do the public know about love? Beck's last words were, what does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I'm not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? A lot. And, and there was a lot of weird stuff that happened with this case. Like they, Her and Fernandez had a real love-hate relationship Like once they were in jail he would say he would say crazy stuff and then she would also say crazy stuff and it just was it was not too much yeah it was very toxic they had a very toxic relationship Mm -hmm. i can see that Mm -hmm. so lady how did you feel about this case 
This case was wild, but I have this question that has been looming throughout the entire episode. It's been just rummaging through my head. Hmm. Like when Fernandez has sex with his toupee, how does it stay secure? <laughs> <laughs> With horses. (laughs) You don't wonder? Because they don't have the products that we have nowadays to slay that wig. Horses. Is it a glue? Little horses. The horse factory, you're an idiot. I, ne- I never thought about that. How is he having sex with these women? I know that toupee fell That's off. That's what I'm talking about. If he was self-conscious about his, you know, injury, he would want to keep it covered all the time. Maybe toupees have, do they have like tape in them? Maybe they have adhesive. I don't know if they have adhesive. I don't wear a toupee. <laughs> I, I, they, I think they do have adhesive because, like, you can't just put a toupee on the top of your head and, like, you know, expect the wind not well, to get to it. Haven't you seen toupees with um, when there's it's windy, it flops open like it's a denture? Oh my gosh, you're right. Just be yes. flapping in the wind. Like it's a mouth yeah. opening. It flops open like it's a mouth opening, just up and down. Yeah, it does. You know what? I kind of, you know, just kind of thinking about this story. Um, I kind of wondered how would this have been different if it were in space? <laughs> Oh my god, you haven't talked about space in a couple of episodes. I didn't mention it in the last two episodes. And today, earlier today, I was like, I'm bringing up space some way, shape, or form. Oh my god, listeners, the seriousness of her face. It To me, I felt like she was going to say something that was meaningful. Yes, that she was going to ask me or she was going to make a statement that was so prolific to my learning about this episode, a contribution to this conversation that we're having about this case. But it turns out she wanted to talk about celestial stuff, space. (laughs) I mean, their love was like celestial. I mean, you know, um. I do kind of wonder, and and I'm being serious now, um, I wonder whatever happened with his wife and how it was for her to, like, meet one of his girlfriends. Did she know what he was doing? What happened to them and the children after or while he was, you know, committing all of these crimes and during the trial and you know, what happened afterwards? Like, that's something, like, what happened? I, I would imagine 
that she kept the she laid low. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just not share so much personal information with people. Like go into detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of felt like um I don't necessarily I'm not trying to empathize with the couple because like they're obviously criminals and they did horrible, terrible things, but I empathize with them as children. So like the children of like Fernandez as a child and Martha as a child, I really empathize with them Mm -hmm. as children because, um, you know, if you kind of look into his um, background, people thought like he's this really weird, slim kid and, you know, he's weak and this and that. And, you know, they kind of sent him away and then he comes back and then he has this, you know, issue, this, um, this traumatic brain mm-hmm. injury that mm-hmm. happens. And then that really changed him. Cause he, he wasn't doing any of this before that, that brain injury. So, you know, um, the brain injury and then with her, her being molested by her brother, her having a domineering mom who also bullied her, her just being bullied by the community, um, just how much in her own head she was in. Like that's, it's sad. There was a lot of manipulation so kind of going back to what um, Dr. Johnston said, the clinical and forensic psychologist, I don't feel like one was necessarily the dominant one. Um, I feel like they both were dominant in, they both could be dominant in certain aspects. I think they're both were spiraling. I mean, they def- yeah, they both were spiraling, but I think at times, like, she called the shots, um, and, but I also think that, like, he called the, the, the shots, too. I don't necessarily think they were two bad people, um, but I think that they were just two easily manipulated people who were very dysfunctional, and when they got together, they their dysfunction strengthened. I disagree. I think they were bad people. You think they were bad people? He was targeting women. Well, no, 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 no. They were definitely bad people. But I'm saying, like, I think, I don't think he was necessarily a bad person before he had the traumatic brain injury. Okay. I get what you're saying. Huh? I get what you're saying. That's probably why they were trying to use the insanity defense. Yeah, like I don't think he was necessarily a bad person before the traumatic brain injury, but I also think like she was able to manipulate him because he did have a a, a brain injury, but he also manipulated her obviously because he he had to be charming. And that's yeah. scary when a man like uses his charm to do really bad things. So I mean, yeah, like um, and I, I, and I also think, I don't necessarily think that she was like, um, like a bad person 
when she was younger but i think when she got older the fact that she was able to just get rid of her kids like that yeah i don't think she was a good person i just think there were like there were situations that caused them to be bad i don't think that they were necessarily like intrinsically bad people okay i get it yeah um what are we gonna be talking about next week lady lily well we're gonna be talking about a very another interesting couple crime um next week that's it that's it that's all y'all that's that's everything that she's gonna give you so sorry you're not gonna get anything (laughs) else you're just gonna have to come back next week and listen because yeah yeah. and maybe next week we will do our podcast in space you never know oh my gosh i I literally had to mention it twice (laughs) because i haven't mentioned it in two episodes so (laughs) check us out in space next week um you can also check us out (laughs) check us out on instagram at the criminality report podcast you can check us out on facebook at tcr pod aka lady red you can also check out our website at www.thecriminalityreportpodcast.com. You can email us at criminalityreportpodcast at gmail.com. Y'all have any stories that you would like for us to talk about? What do they have to do, Lady Lily? Y'all know it already. Just hit us up. Just hit us up. Hit us up. Hit us up. Also, don't forget to join the crew, the crew, the crew, because, you know, we know that you want to be a part of the crew. That's the, the coolest crew. crew in in the land is the crew. So where can they listen to our episodes, lady? You can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Again, thank you for listening until next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Now imagine a man taking advantage of women, but one woman becoming his lover and accomplice. Accomplice. <laughs> <laughs> he dated an old. Uh. That's why we clip him because of that. It Bruh. won't even. <laughs> Okay, that didn't get to red. Bruh. Bruh. <laughs> I just gotta make sure I don't get to the red. Bruh. Okay, continue. Bruh. That one went to red, so. <laughs> so, listeners, on execution day, Fernandez's. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> I don't know what happened with my tongue just a second ago. Oh, it's me. <laughs> you could have told me. You I was just me. I was just being no, patient. You could have told me. I was no, just being You wanted me to ask that question. Oh, it's me. Because I look lost and I look <laughs> and I look snoopy. I see where you were going with this because you're you did look lost and you look hella Your facial sleepy. expression told told it all. Told it all. <laughs> told it all. Anyway. <laughs> they eventually up their annies 
and then antics, bro. <laughs> Oh, you know what? It is aunties. Up the aunties. <laughs> you were right. Oh, you read it wrong, but you were right. <laughs> okay. 